Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 8 as we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews and the Bible study I entitled, Jesus the Better Tabernacle. Jesus the Better Tabernacle. Last time we were together, we learned the details of Jesus Christ as the greater high priest. That he didn't come from the line of Aaron or he didn't come from the line of Levi, but rather he's a high priest from a completely different order from this man named Melchizedek. And we studied that in depth last time. Today, notice in Hebrews chapter 8, Paul, he says, we are getting to the main point now. We're getting to the summary, verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to both offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Now, notice verse 5. Who served the copy and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, and this is a quote from Exodus 25, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And so we have the better high priest, Jesus Christ. And the temptation that was coming to the first century Jewish believers, remember that's the audience that this letter was written to, the temptation that they were facing was to leave the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and they wanted to go back to the formalism of the law, the rituals, the ceremonies, the priesthood, the temple of Judaism. They were tempted to go backwards. They were tempted to leave faith, to leave the promised Messiah. Imagine this. If you were in Judaism, somebody listening right now, those that are in Judaism right now, the Jewish men and women reading the Torah, reading the Old Testament, they would be reading of over 300, as they read through, 300 predictions of the first coming of Messiah, the Savior. Do you know that Jesus Christ, when he came, he fulfilled over 300 predictions, or what the Bible calls prophecies, of his first coming. Things like what city he would be born in. Things like he would come from a virgin. And on and on, 300, about 330 is what most people settle on. And so they are now worshiping, this group is worshiping Jesus Christ, their promised Messiah. They have the promise. They don't have to worship in shadows and copies any longer. They have the real thing, but they want to go backwards. They want to go backwards. Notice in verse 1, It says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying, and I want you to mark these words. We have, present tense, we have. 
Those are important words. Because remember, the believers are under intense pressure. Embracing Jesus Christ literally meant for the Jewish person in the first century, losing everything. They lost their, their status in society. They lost their formalism religion. They lost their family, lost their job. They lost their community. And yet they're still connected with their family in some respects, but they lost everything. And what they would be hearing is something like this. Hey, what are you worshiping that guy from Nazareth? Why are you you worshiping that Nazarene? Why don't you come back? Because we have the temple. We have the priesthood. We have the washings. We have the ceremonies. We have the law. To which Paul says, here's the summary. Here's the main point. We have a greater high priest. And that silenced the critics. We have not only such a high priest, but we have the best high priest. We have the fulfillment of it all. Today, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, continuing to minister and serve on our behalf. He says, notice verse two, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which God built and not man. What they were looking to is something temporary. They were looking to the temple and the law and they were looking to that which was temporary for personal fulfillment. And yet Paul is reminding them that they have the permanence of Jesus Christ. And they're not to leave the permanence and the substance to go back to copies and shadows. You have to understand, what Jesus Christ has done for you and me on the cross is open wide the way of fellowship with God. That is beyond our comprehension. You no longer need to go through a priest, nor have you ever needed to if you weren't in Judaism. You don't need to go through a priest. You don't need to go through a ritual. You don't need to show up at a particular place. You don't have to offer a bull or a goat because what Jesus Christ has done for you and me on the cross, you and I can have a full, real relationship with God, our creator, by faith. We have the real deal. He has supplied everything that we need. Our relationship with the Father, listen, is not based on our good works. And I'm glad. It's not based on our good works. It's not based, you can come to the Father whether you do your devos or not. You can come to the Father whether you attend church perfectly or not. You can come to the Father if you made a mistake or you committed a sin or whatever it might be in your life. By faith in Jesus Christ, you can come to the Father right now, not based on your good works. Now, is it a good thing to be in the Bible every day? Absolutely. Is it a good thing to be with other believers on a rate? Absolutely. Is it a good thing to have a vibrant prayer life? Yes. But your relationship to the Father does not depend on your good works. Jesus Christ provided the one good work that it takes for you to be right with the Father. And you come through him and he's fulfilled it all. I think we take that for granted at times. You know, as a new believer, we're born again, we're excited, we embrace all that God has done for us. But over time, we begin to take for granted that Jesus Christ did the work. We take for granted that Jesus Christ, he saves us, he continues to save us, and he will save us. It's his work, not our good works. And it works both ways. You know, it goes both ways because if you're faithful this week and you read your, you did your devos every day and you, you might feel good about yourself. You may even feel better. You feel like you're better than someone else. And you come to God with great boldness because man, you did well in your spiritual life this week. 
On the other hand, if you didn't do too well, you may not even come at all. You, you may feel so condemned, you may feel so upset, you know, I'm just a lousy person, I didn't read the Bible this week, I didn't pray, as a matter of fact, uh, not only did I not do anything spiritual, I did a lot of things unspiritual, and you begin to judge your life on your good works and your bad works. Listen, if that's the way you live your life, you need to train yourself to, tr- to see your life based on his good work. Because when you're caught up in who he is and what he's done for you, all those other things, they follow. You begin to love his word. You want to hear from him. You, you want to grow in his grace. You want to tell others about him. You're going to stay away from nonsense. You're, you're going to break off bad relationships. Why? Not because some pastor told you to, but because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit yearns for your purity and your righteousness. The Holy Spirit animates us with the very power of God to do what's right and pleasing to him. Man, what he's done for us, it's amazing. And it says in verse four, notice if Jesus was on earth, he wouldn't be a priest. And that's true, because he wasn't from the line of Aaron and he wasn't from the line of Levi, so he wouldn't offer anything in the temple. And that's a big point, because why he was from the line of Melchizedek. He's a different type of priesthood. The men that were serving in the temple were just serving copies and shadows and not the real thing. You know, what I've found over the years is that any illustration I try to make when it comes to copies and shadows is pretty silly. You know, and yet it still makes the point. None of us really go after the shadows. And none of us really want a fake copy of something. We want the real deal. And I was thinking in my own travels, you know, if there's an opportunity, I, I never travel alone, but if I have to travel, I take a pastor with me and I'm not able to take my wife, you know, by the time I get home, I, I want... I want the real thing. I, I want to spend some time with my wife. I want to enjoy Marie. I don't come home, and as I'm walking in, I see her standing at the door because she always stands at the door to wait for me. You know that, right? <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. So, so she's at the door, and, and I see her shadow, and I'm like, man, it's so good to be home. Hey, babe. And I just jump on the ground and start hugging the shadow. What a dumb thing to do. And she's like, what's your problem, bro? Like, what are you doing? Oh, I was just waiting to see your shadow, honey. I've been missing your shadow. And no, like I want the real deal. I'm going right for the real thing. I'm passing the shadow. I'm going right for the real thing or, or a picture, a copy. You know, if I, when I travel and I don't have my wife or even when I don't have my family, I have pictures of my family. It reminds me of them. I pray for them and, and I miss them. But when I get home, man, I don't need the picture. It's, it'd be really weird if I, I'm there sitting and Marie's like two feet from me on the couch. Man, this is such a great picture. So good, you know, it's like, I'll be so stupid. I got the real thing. If I just move over two feet, boom, it's done. None of us, none of us go for the shadows or copies. So if you do that in the real world, that's the point. That's why he keeps saying it. You know what? The tabernacle, the temple, the worship, the ceremonies, the incense, the high priesthood, they all had their time, but they're temporary. The tabernacle was temporary. It was a picture, a type of a copy, a copy of who is to come. Not what is to come, but who is to come. If you studied with us when we went through Exodus, we went through, you know, all the studies that we've done in our church are online. They're on our website and on our app. And we're about, I don't know, a third way through the Old Testament and almost done with the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews and Jude, and we'll be done with the New Testament. And so when we went through Exodus many years ago, verse by verse, we learned that each part of the tabernacle pointed to Jesus Christ. 
Everything about it was a, t- was a picture of Jesus. And that when Jesus came, he fulfilled. No need for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was temporary. The law was temporary in its purpose. Remember the purpose of the law? The, pur- the law had a purpose, and it was this. To show you and me that we have failed a holy and righteous God. That's why the law was given. We learned that in a previous study. Remember, the law is a tutor or a teacher. And what does the law teach us? The law teaches us that we have failed. You see, the law could reveal, the law could reveal our failure, but it couldn't change us. And we compared it to what? A mirror. Like all of us use mirrors. And let me just tell you, when you wake up in the morning and you go into the restroom, the mirror is telling you the truth. You may not like it, but the mirror, you can't get mad at the mirror. You can't get up, I don't, I can't believe mirror, I'm getting a new mirror. Why? Because it's telling me I don't look good. No, bro, that's how you look. That's it. The mirror is telling you the truth. Changing the mirror is not going to change the situation. The mirror is just telling you the truth. It's not the mirror's fault. The mirror is revealing to you what needs to be changed, but it's not changing it for you. It has no power to change for you. The law of God, very similar. The law of God reveals to you your inadequacies, but the law had no power to change. Only God changes. Only God does the work internally. It's, it's, like, it's like the pictures you take, you know? If we took a picture, I did a big picture and I, gave, I sent it all to you, the first person you're looking for is who? You. And then you're gonna say, oh, I don't like this. Well, let me just let you in on a secret. That's what you look like all the time. It's not the picture's fault. That's what you look like. Yeah, but my eyes were closed. Guess what? That's what you look like when your eyes are closed. That's it. It's not the picture's fault. It's not the mirror's fault. And it's not the Bible's fault when it, you open it up. You see, that, that's one of the reasons why people don't read the Bible. Because it's alive and powerful. And it doesn't matter where you read. God will use it to reveal to you and reveal to me the distance that is between me and God, the distance between my creator. And it's going to force me to come to the conclusion, where am I in my relationship to God? That, that question is on every page. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Like some of you are listening today for the very first time to a Bible study and you're like, what is this whole thing about a high priest? I don't even know. And that question is leading you to who wrote it? And that question is leading to you, well, if God wrote it, then who is God? See, on every page of the Bible, it leads you to the questions that will lead you to God. And there you are standing before God with the greatest question in your life. And that is this, where will you spend eternity? God is eternal, so where will you spend eternity? A lot of people avoid the Bible and avoid Christians and avoid Christianity, they avoid churches because you don't wanna deal with that question, where will you spend eternity? But that's an important question to ask. It's more important than the person you're gonna marry, it's more important than the house you're gonna buy or the car you drive or the school you're gonna go to or what your career is. As important as those questions are, the greatest question that every human being needs to answer is where will you spend eternity? You can ask it in the first person, where will I spend eternity? And if you say, well, you know, I'm going to be in heaven because all good people go to heaven. The problem is when you open the Bible, the Bible says you're not good. The Bible says that we're not good enough. 
well, you know, Ed, I'm better than so-and-so. That may be true, but you're comparing to the wrong person. You see, God made it very clear. He, he, he made the key to heaven just one key, not 10, not seven. There's only one key to open up the gate, if you will, into the presence of God in heaven. And the key, if you had a name on it, would say perfection. That's how you and I get into heaven. Be perfect. And to that, you're like, man, I guess I'm not getting in. Right, I wouldn't get in either. Perfect. I don't have that key. I'm not perfect. Not only am I not perfect, but in a large portion of my life when I was younger, I actively rebelled against God. I was worse than worse than worse than not perfect. You see, God, he allows us to live life the way that we desire. If you don't want to be in relationship with God today, God will not force you to be in a relationship with him. He gave you life, breath, and everything you have. The Bible says, what do we have that God didn't give it to us first? Everything that we are and have came from God, from, our Father, from the Father in heaven. He's the provider of all great things. But if you don't want a relationship with him, he will not force you to have a relationship with him. But it'll break his heart. You see, the Bible says that if you live in a way that's in rebellion to God and you die in that condition, you will spend eternity separated from God. Often you will hear the phrase, you'll spend eternity in hell. Hell is a real place. There are a lot of different phrases in the Bible that describes a place of separation from God for all eternity. Hell, lake of fire, Gehenna. I mean, it's a very, it's a very horrible place to think of. And it's not God's desire for you to go there. As a matter of fact, he provided everything possible for you to avoid hell. And yet if you choose to live in a way that's rebellious toward God, then hell is where you'll go. It's almost like God saying, you know, if this is the way you want and this is the life that you want, I will give you that. But it'll break his heart. He does so with tears. He grieves over your decision to go to hell. And you might say, man, I never decided to go to hell. Listen, if you don't, decide to follow Jesus, there's only one alternative. There's not three, there's not 10. There's only one alternative. Who will you live your life for? Will it be for you? That's a choice. You live life the way you wanna live it? The way that you wanna do things? Do you wanna dabble in Hinduism a little bit? Do you wanna go toward Buddhism? Do you, do you wanna take that religious class and see what all the religions out there? God says, it's not good for you, but if that's the way you wanna go, I was thinking about this because over the years of serving here, I've spent a lot of time with families and parents, and uh, uh, I was thinking of a select group of parents, parents that have prodigal kids. You know, I'd be at their kitchen table or my office or the restaurant, and we're talking about and praying about their child, their son, their daughter. This just happened recently, not too long ago. And talking about the decisions they're making. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity to talk to this young guy about the life that he's choosing and pleading with him not to do it. He chose anyway. Every parent that has a prodigal kid cries over them and their heart breaks over them. They're not happy that their son or daughter doesn't want to live for God. They're not happy that they become drug addicts. They're not happy that they're hanging with these people that don't care about them. The prodigal son's father in the Bible wasn't happy his son took the inheritance and threw it all away and ruined his life. He is not happy, he's grieved. You know, God, his, the greatest picture of God in the Bible is as a father. 
And for you to not live in a way that pleases him grieves him. You go, Ed, I don't know, I've never heard that, that God would be grieved or sad over my sin. What do you mean? And you, by the way, I did use the word sin because what we call mess ups and mistakes, the Bible calls sin. The greatest issue in life is our sin. What will we do with our sin? You see, Judaism was an elaborate system of religion that God established to get people's eyes on him. And they were to follow the prescription until Messiah came. It was a revelation. Every time the priest came, he would offer three animals, remember? First, he would offer an animal for himself, a a sacrifice for his own sins on the Day of Atonement. Secondly, he would offer an animal for the sins of all the people. And then thirdly, he would take a live animal, a goat, he would have his bloody hands, and his bloody hands would be on the head of the goat, and he would transfer, and by prayer, the sins of the people on that goat, and he would let them go. And everybody, can you imagine what that would be? You don't need to bring a bull or a goat today, isn't that great? But can you imagine if I had to come here today and I had, okay, it's time for the scapegoat, guys. Bring the goat. And I got him there and he's all restless and my bloody hands and we have him. Okay, take off to Watkins. And he's, he's running down Hampton and I said, watch everybody, look. That's the sin of your, your sins are running away. As far as the east is, and you watch him go. And you know, to Watkins, he's got to take a left at the dump and then go around. And so he's taken off. But then wouldn't there, I was thinking, wouldn't there be the occasion that the goat goes, I don't want to go. And he starts coming back. And what are we going to, don't come back. Don't get out of here. We don't like Watkins either, but go, go. No, I don't know why I'm picking on Watkins today, but somebody here needed to hear that. No. Uh, There's actually a brother playing about planting a church out there. So the goat starts coming back. (laughs) And you're like, no, don't come back because that represents my sins. That doesn't happen today. Why? Because Jesus Christ took all of your sins upon himself. He's the scapegoat. He's the one that took the wrath of God on your behalf. How do you appease a grieving God? You repent of your sins and submit your life to him today. In a few moments, you have that opportunity. You see the Hebrews, the Hebrews are wrestling about leaving Jesus. We aren't tempted to go back to Judaism. You realize that. I haven't met anyone yet, really, that's tempted to go back to Judaism because most of us didn't come from Judaism. But remember in the beginning of our study in Hebrews, we did a small series titled Backslide? And we talked significantly about this issue of backsliding. And by far, that is the predominant issue in the church today. People sliding away, turning away, walking away from their relationship with Jesus Christ. For what? Copies, shadows, things that will hurt you and harm you and destroy your life. You take one step away from the Lord and that's the trajectory of your life. You say, well, it's just a little step, Ed. Yeah, but a little compromise is gonna lead to another compromise and before you know it, the compromises are gonna be so big you don't even notice it anymore. And you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna say, how did I get to this place? And as you talk with a pastor, we're gonna take you all the way back to the first decision. Said, that's how you got there. Yeah, but it was so insignificant. No, it wasn't as insignificant as you think. Backsliding serious. It'll destroy you. And that, that is the essence of the book of Hebrews. Yes, the doctrinal insight we gain here is on the significance of Jesus Christ and how he's better in the fulfillment. Yes. And we're looking at that piece by piece. But the definite essence, the main point, as he says here, is you have a high priest that's in heaven serving you right now 
in the real tabernacle, not the temporary one. You know, the tabernacle was temporary. I was thinking of that in a context of our own church to give you a concept. You know, this building we're meeting in is temporary. It's temporary. It's temporary like every other place we've met in as a church. If you're just joining us, we've met together as a church in the last 19 years all over this city. The first place we met was a Baptist church right down the street here, Hampton and Winston on Saturday nights. I believe a Korean congregation ministers in there now. And we met there on Saturday nights. Until the Lord opened the door and we moved in, our Sunday morning services right across the street, catty corner behind the coals back there, Columbia Middle School. We spent seven years there on Sunday mornings as the Lord was gathering in a group of people and growing the church. And as we were looking to do more ministry, we needed another location. So we were looking for another church that would rent to us so we could do midweek Bible studies. And we found a church, the Episcopal Church, over on Buckley and Wagon Trail. Now, they wouldn't rent to us the building and sanctuary, but they did have a shack in the parking lot, and they said you could use that. And we're like, great, a shack's better than what we got, because we got nothing. So we met Thursday nights in that shack, and it was crowded and hot, and, and it was great. It was a great experience, but it was temporary, because we grew out of that space. And then we went north to south in this city, literally, knocking on calling all the churches saying can we use your facility can we we got a no from every single church that we contacted except for pastor jeff noble and new life over there on Iliff uh and tower in that area that new life church they rented to us the upstairs room that we did for midweek and let us use their children ministry downstairs until we were able to move into this building but even then, we also had another temporary space, and that was across the street next to the movie tavern. Before the movie tavern was ever there, we rented an old gun shop that was a corner unit there as offices. We did men's ministry. We had a coffee shop there. We had a bookstore there. Like everywhere we've been is temporary, including this space. We may or may not be in this space for five, six years. Who knows? God has different plans for his church. We just need to follow along but it's temporary. You can't fall in love with the building, guys. The church is not this building. So you can't fall in love with the building. You know, by the way, I just want to give you a heads up. We are changing the carpet. Don't get in love. Don't fall in love with this carpet. <laughs> it is dirty. It is, uh, if, especially when you move. I mean, 13 years. I was talking to the flooring guy this week, and he says, man, that carpet's not supposed to last for 13 years, but it's like manna. It lasted for 13 years. <laughs> And it's dirty. You know, you look at it right now, it's nice and brown. It used to be green. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You can't fall in love with the carpet. It's going. We need new carpet. And yet, we're going to destroy the next carpet too. Because we built this building to use. This is a multi-purpose room right here. We didn't have a lot of prop. We didn't have a lot of space here. So we built this as a multi-purpose. So you might be new and sitting on a stain. You go, what kind of church is this? Look at these stains. Believe me, we tried to clean it but it didn't come out. And we use this building, every square inch of it. It gets beat up. When you're not using it, the kids are beating it up. And the kids aren't beating it up. We're doing something in here, some big event, something for the sake of the gospel. It's just a building, that's the point. Sometimes people will say, oh, I miss the days in the school. And I always have to ask, what do you miss exactly? The food on the walls, the hard chairs, the sound issues, well, what do you miss exactly? Now, I know what they mean. What they mean is that God ministered to them in a very special way in that school. You will never lose that. You will have that until you meet Jesus face to face. But we're not in the school anymore. And we're not at Wagon Trail anymore. 
and we're not, we're not across the street anymore. And even here, we're changing things and moving things and remodeling things. Why? Just to be used. This, 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 isn't, this, isn't, this isn't permanent. The tabernacle was just a tent that was given to the children of Israel as a place of worship, but it was temporary. If you go to Israel with us, you'll see that there is no more tabernacle. We'll even take you to the Temple Mount on one of the days when we go next year. One of the days we'll take you to the Temple Mount and you'll see with your own eyes and you'll stand there with your own feet and you will be able to testify there is no temple on the Temple Mount as of today. It's not there. The temple, the tabernacle were never intended to be the focal points for worship, but rather they were temporary shadows and copies of Jesus Christ to come. And once you have him, you don't need the copies or shadows anymore. That's the point. Turn over to John chapter one. We're almost out of time, but it's second service, so I have all day, (laughs) except for the children's ministry, but they'll be up soon enough. John chapter one, something really cool is shared here in John chapter one, in verse 14. Familiar to you, we studied John verse by verse not too long ago, so this may be review for you, but but check this out. John chapter one, verse 14. And the word, notice that's capitalized, that's a reference to Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us. God, the eternal son, took on a human body and dwelt among us. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. Very important doctrine. The doctrine of the incarnation where God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, came and took on a human body and he walked this earth and died for your sins and rose again the third day. The incarnation. And that's a glorious doctrine. We've studied that in depth. But I want to draw your attention to the word dwelt. If you haven't already, circle that word dwelt and right next to it, tabernacled. Because the root of that word literally means to pitch your tent. That the Son of God came to earth and pitched his tent. He fulfilled the tabernacle. He came as the permanent replacement that now by faith in Jesus Christ, you no longer need the copies or shadows because you have the real thing. Let me show you what I mean, comparatively, comparing the tabernacle to Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, number one, the tabernacle was temporary. We've seen that already. It served a specific purpose for a specific time. Jesus, he also was here temporarily. 33 years he dwelt on the earth before he died. Just 33 years. He had a purpose. You see, the tabernacle is just one big picture of Jesus. Number two, the tabernacle was in the wilderness. Well, Jesus too. Jesus, too, was in the wilderness. He lived without a permanent home. The Bible describes Jesus as not even having a place to lay his head. Number three, the tabernacle was humble in appearance. If you were to see it, it would look like a regular tent. Even though it was a very special tent, it was made with animal skins and such, it would look like a regular tent. Jesus, the Bible says, was also humble in appearance. He took the form of a servant. In the old King James, it says he had no form or comeliness. As a matter of fact, he looked so ordinary. You guys will recall in the garden when he was betrayed, what did Judas have to do? He 
kissed him. Why do you think he kissed him? Not only to fulfill prophecy, but also to point him out. The one that I kiss, that's Jesus. Why? Because most people have this concept of Jesus as, you know who Jesus is? The one that's glowing in the dark, that one, get that guy. The one with the halo that's always sparkling over his head, that's Jesus. The one that has a sparkle in his eye. Or how about this one? The one that never touches the ground, he just kind of floats six inches off the ground. And he just kind of... No, he was a normal, ordinary man. So much so that Judas had to kiss him to point him out. Do you know that when he was beaten and tortured on the, right before the cross, and as he hung there, he was so mangled that unless you knew who he was, he wasn't recognizable. He was that human, 100%. Fourthly, the tabernacle was God's dwelling place on earth among men. According to Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Jesus, well, his name is Emmanuel. Remember what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. He's with us. God is with us, dwelling among us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's our only mediator between God and man. He's the touchable, huggable, lovable God wrapped in human flesh. Number five, the tabernacle provided the sacrifice place for sin. It was in the tabernacle where daily offerings for the sin of the nation were offered. And Jesus, well, on the cross, he was the sacrifice place for all of the sins of mankind as Jesus was nailed there and died for us, dwelt. He pitched his tent among us. You see, when you have Jesus, you don't go back to the copy. Jesus came in glory, in the kabod, in the Hebrew. The glory of God dwelt in Jesus Christ because he was God. And he is God to this day. He's alive, ministering in heaven. We're not serving the copy in shadows. We're not clinging to something temporary as if it's not supposed to go away. No, rather we're we're growing in our understanding of what God wants to do in our lives. Remember, we learned not too long ago, we love the past, but we live the future. We, we love all that God has done, but all that we're going through, everything in life, it's just temporary. The real deal is in the heavenly realm, that which is eternal. You know, so much of what we do is not even going to last. Only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. So much of our life is just going right through our fingers. And God is calling us to deeper commitments and a deeper love relationship with him, that our eyes would be on him, focused, specific. See, even though many today are trying to take you back to the Torah, and they emphasize that, wanting to go back to the practice and the rituals. You may even hear someone on TV or the radio, you're not a real Christian if you're not going through the feasts and such. Listen, all of that. Remember, if anyone asks you, why aren't you, are you keeping the Torah? The answer is yes. The answer is always yes. Are you keeping the feast? The answer is yes. And you go, well, what do you mean? I don't remember a feast here. Well, listen, by faith in Jesus Christ, you are keeping it all. Why? Because he kept it all. It's his righteousness, his work, not your works. And so as people are pushing and tugging, you refuse them, you resist them, you refuse being entangled in a yoke of bondage again by their system. You see, once you come to Jesus, he's not just the better. Jesus Christ is always the best. Always the best. He is the fulfillment of all that you've been reading, all that you've been studying, all that you're waiting for. His ministry is better than the priesthood through Aaron because the covenant he's ministering to is better. And that's what we'll get to next time. 
He ministers a better covenant, verse 6, based on better promises. The new covenant that God promised through Jeremiah, through many of the prophets. The new covenant, based not on our works, but on his work. The covenant he's ministering to is based on better promises. He's infinitely better because he offered himself, not an animal, for the removal of our sins. He presented the value of his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats. But once for all, he put away sins, your sin and mine. He, not merely cover, he didn't just cover them for another year. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. And one of the things that we can always be reminded when our state and our city is covered in a fresh layer of white snow, it's always a reminder that though your sins be scarlet, by faith in Jesus Christ, they'll be white as snow. That's the work of God in your life. He, he declares you, he doesn't just by faith in Jesus declare you innocent. God declares you so innocent as if you never committed the sin to begin with. That's the work of God. No system of religion can do that for you. The old covenant, the covenant of the law, promised blessings for obedience, but death for disobedience. It required righteousness, but didn't give the ability to produce it. But in Jesus Christ, not only does he identify our weaknesses, but he strengthened them with his own life. And God is doing the work. So don't go backwards, church. Don't go to and fro. Don't, don't adopt some religious system that you heard on YouTube or heard on the radio. You stick with Jesus. The simplicity of his word, a love relationship based upon his grace, his goodness. That which we don't deserve, Jesus Christ has done for us. And that we can live by faith in the Son of God, to finish what he started in your life. Amen? So, Father, thank you for the privilege of being reminded today of how temporary the tabernacle was. Even in the life of our own church, you know, it's just so many things that are temporary, uh, so many things that are uh, here today, gone tomorrow, but you remain the same. And so, Father, I pray that you would minister to us, help us to grow in our love relationship with you and thankful we don't have to watch a goat run east with our bloody head but rather we see you high and lifted up dying for my sins changing my life and collectively so many and I pray now Lord by, by those that are here today and need to get their life right with you I pray for them <clears throat> I pray that they would make the right decision today, that they would turn away and repent of their sins and accept you as their savior, to spend eternity in you, with you in a place that the Bible refers to as heaven. It's really just the eternal scene, that their life is no, little, no small thing to play with, that today is the day that you desire them to get right with you. And as the church is praying, I just wanna give you the chance before we leave, if you're here today, and you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. That's the whole sum. You want to get to the sum of why we're here today? It was so that you might turn your life over to God today. God bless you. That today would be the day that your sins would be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. God bless you in the back. Today is the day. God bless you and you. I know that you know, you might stand here today or sit here today, but you know what, everybody in this room is good and I'm bad. That's not true. Everyone in this room is bad. 
The difference is most of us have taken our badness to God and accepted his forgiveness. I'm no better than you. But I am different. I've been walking with Jesus Christ for 28 years now. I've forsaken my past. And I'm living for the future with Jesus Christ. Not because I'm a good man, not because I deserve it, but because of the love of God for me. And he loves you too. Is there anyone else who would say, yes, that's me, Pastor. I want to turn my life over to God. You guys on the radio listening, you're listening live right now. It might be airing at a different time, but for the sake of Grace FM, you guys are listening live. You're right here in the room with us, just like you are on the, on the video stream. You're right here in the room with us. God is using technology to reach your heart, reach your soul. And I believe that there's a wrestling going on in the room. God bless you. I see you, man. And I, and I you know, we kind of use the word God bless you when people sneeze and stuff, but I really mean it. I mean God's blessing upon you, of you coming to him. That he wants to bless your life and encourage you and rescue you, change you. And you know, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible promises. So I want to help you fulfill that. Those of you that are acknowledging him today, I want to help you fulfill that confession with your mouth. And the way we're going to do that is I'm going to lead you in a prayer and encourage you to repeat these words. You can use your own words, but go in the same direction I'm going, okay? So say something like this. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. because I need to be in a right relationship with you. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I come to you today, God, in all of my brokenness, and my failures, and my weakness, and I surrender my life to you. I repent and renounce my past sins and dedicate my life to following you. God, it's a high and holy moment when people are coming to you, Lord. And I know there's a lot of different motives. I know there's a lot going on in the room right now. I know there's a lot of feelings. And I just pray it's real, God, that the men and women that respond today are in a real right relationship with you, that it's not just some emotional thing and, and it's not just something they're saying and doing because of pressure, but God, they're, they're literally surrendering their life that we'll get to see them change. We'll get to see the rescuing power. We'll get to see them grow. We'll get to see all of it until you come back to take us home. So may your blessing be upon them, Lord. May you pour out heapings, uh, heaps of your love and your grace and your mercy in their lives, that you would have your way in our lives. And I pray, God, I pray for the backslider that's here today, that you would give them the strength to cut it off your word says that if your right hand, I believe it's a word from the Lord, listen, the right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And that's the only thing it's gonna, you, you've gotta deal radically with this sin. You can't mess around with it anymore. It's gonna destroy your life. That's a word from the Lord. For some, one, whoever's listening, you know this is a word for you. This is God's word to you. You've got to cut it off or you'll be destroyed. And so Father, I pray as 
as we sense the presence of your powerful spirit among us that you would give us the power to obey you, to walk humbly with you and to enjoy you. You're our minister. You, you are our high priest. You're there standing before heaven against the accuser of the brethren that hates our guts. You protect us and you guard us. You're our advocate and we hide in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you...